Hello, and welcome to episode 169 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have a review of 100 Bullets, the Counterfeit Detective. The Counterfeit Detective is issues 1 through 36 of the 100 Bullet series. Private Eye, Milo Garrett, is drawn into a murder mystery and a painting theft involving Megan Dittritz that leads to him questioning his identity and a faithful meeting with Lono. This is your spoiler alert for these issues of 100 Bullets. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. And we have a special guest on this, uh, returning guest, three-time guest, Jonathan Thompson, who picked this book for us. Um, and he also has a Kickstarter going on currently um, in its final days. It's called uh, Burn Residue. But uh, Jonathan, why don't you uh, tell us why you picked this book and, and, and why you like this book so much? Uh, thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, it's the hat trick. It's the third time. Uh, so I picked this one. This is like my favorite story from 100 Bullets. I read it back when I was a young high school kid, probably not appropriately reading. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's always a story that stuck with me. And it's the kind of story that always pulled me towards the crime comic genre. So when I went to make Burn Residue and decide on that co the crime comic, this is definitely the kind of story that I wanted to emulate in many ways and kind of the kind of the launch pad for how I see crime comics. And did you read a um, hundred bullets? Uh, like it was a hundred issue series as well, right? Did you read it yeah. one through a hundred in order, or did you jump around? I I uh, I read it in order. I first found out about it through like Wizard Magazine. So then like I was on a big kick and I ordered all, I've ordered the first, I wanna say probably probably up to this, to the one, the trade after this. So the first six trades I read in trade form. And then from then on, I just picked up the monthly issues until the very end. And had you been exposed to either Rizzo or um, uh, Azarello no. to this point? No, it was my first time like, reading them and seeing the art and it blew me away. You know, I still think that their little short Batman run is one of the best Batman stories there is. Very cool. And Noah, this is, um, this is your first time reading any 100 bullets. I have a little bit of experience with the, some of the, the first couple of issues, but, but what did you think as a, as a first timer coming in here in, in this arc? I loved it. And it's always been recommended to me because I'm a big Sin City fan. And this sort of seems like the next, well, like the next better step after you read the Goodson City books is sort of to read 100 Bullets. So now I know that and I need to go back and start oh, it from definitely. the beginning. But it's, uh, no, I really love the tone and uh, I was messaging you and Jonathan about it that like I like how everyone's a bastard, um, but I still am like rooting for the characters and like I, I don't like I like they're they're not good people but at the same time like it's kind of like Sin City in that way where it's like they're they're compelling enough as characters where I don't want to like I want to see it through to the end um like it's a very mean-spirited book but it's never like the whole purpose of the book isn't to be mean like that's just the tone like of like the noir story and I love that and then I love that it's yeah, like you know the 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 sort of like grittiness of it is built on the backs of this really compelling mystery um, that just had me, you know, eat it up as I went through it. And it reminded me a lot of Burn Residue in that way, because like Burn Residue, the main character is not a likable guy throughout the whole thing. Um, but he's a very compelling character. And it's a very compelling story that you, you tell Jonathan in, in that book. 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I think that's definitely the way to look at it is, first of all, as the sophisticated next step from Sin City. Yes. You know, I kind of came to it in the reverse order. I found Sin City afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to tell stories about like not good people that, which I think the genre is all about. Yeah. You know, you're looking at the dark side of humanity and then watching what they go through but also finding yourself connected to them. And then it kind of like, you know, twists something inside of you. Yeah, it's definitely, it follows like the, and we'll talk about it as we break it down, but like this book, um, maybe I think more so than your book, but I haven't read the whole series, your whole series yet. I've just read the first issue. But the, this one sort of follows the sort of classic noir structure of a yeah. story where it's like, you know, well, it's, it's like a private detective and stuff like that, but yeah. even how it begins and how it ends, like it begins and ends almost like double indemnity where it's like, you kind of know how it ends at the beginning of the book. And that sort of circles back around to that. And um, it, it sort of has that like, you know, no like good deed goes unpunished kind of idea, like by the end of the book, um, which I, I really like that. Yeah. One, yeah. one, one oh, similarity sorry. I found as well is in Burn Residue in this, you can't really tell like what time period they're in because, yeah. um, you know, Burn Residue, it starts off gas station, electric pumps, but then people show up in, in you know, 60s muscle cars. So you're like, you know, am I in the future here? But I'm also seeing tech that I, or, you know, machinery that places me in a different time frame where you know there's parts where um uh the main character goes out on the streets he goes to convenience stores and it looks very 90s but like when he goes to his um you know his place of uh business that that the uh i think it's a office that he rents like in a, in a timeshare or something like that you feel like it's the classic sort of 40s like you know even with like dames knocking on the door and, and, and walking through at the, at the wrong time and just sort of taking his breath away and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you, all of a sudden you have like people in like nineties Hawaiian shirts and yeah. like mullets <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. I think that's like the, the fun part of noir too, is that it, it's like timeless right off the bat. You never really need to place it in a time period because everyone's a bastard throughout history. Nice. too true yes <laughs> but it's it, it uh yeah and and sort of to jump into the like uh it, like, like like your book though it also sort of it doesn't like like it doesn't um ease you into the story like a typical noir film does like noir films are almost like slap you on the back of the head and they're like yeah of course you're in this story now yeah um, I, I i love that as a storytelling yeah. device too just you yeah. know throw you in the deep end because that's more exciting as a reader to I think a reader is more excited by picking it up as they go along rather than be force-fed throughout and bored exactly yeah and I, I really appreciate that so I, I was seeing a lot of um uh style similarities also in Brian Azarello's writing and we'll kind of get that as we talk yeah. about the book but he has a very rhythmic sense to his uh, his writing as well. Like he's not like you're he's uh, he's a little more wordy than your style is. Like you're very short, concise, and like 
the monologues, like the inner monologue, inner narration, I guess, of Milo is a little wordier and more dense on certain panels and things like that. I think um, it's just because it's so much fun to write and read. Yeah. You know, true. like um, that's definitely a style that it throws you right into the main character's head, which I think helps you, you know, empathize with the character right off the bat and kind of not a trick because that's the, the trope of the genre. But there's something just unique about this. Like you wouldn't read a Superman comic where he was talking about talking like this. Yeah. You know, it's specific to this kind of story. And but you know, Brian Azzarello Azzarello really one of my favorite it. Superman books. Like oh, Superman. for tomorrow. For tomorrow is awesome. Oh, yeah. that's a great one. That yeah. is a great one. But he didn't talk like this. He did not talk <laughs> like this at all. No. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it. What's you know, you fall in this one is definitely more in the classic crime genre where it's the, you know, that private detective story on the hunt for, you know, the missing painting and the trail of bodies in between. Where mine is probably burn residue is more more concentrated in many ways because it is about an act of revenge and the ramifications of that revenge. You know, I always say issue two is the most psychological issue of the whole burn residue series for me you know issue one is revenge issue two is the kind of the trauma of the revenge combined with you know the real enemy and then my issue three is my death of superman issue i like to call it okay awesome (laughs) well one thing i found um and sort of uh spoilers for this book Uh, i think we can kind of we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be spoiling this book but one thing I liked about this book, and I'm interested about your guys' opinion of this, because 100 Bullets as a series, from what I understand, is all about revenge. Like, you know, you get the 100 yeah. Bullets to use, and it's untraceable. These agents give this to you as, like, a way for you to get revenge with no consequences legally, you know, um, as long as you don't get caught murdering the person, uh, from what I understand. But this book, this one it keeps sort of setting up this like, you know, it like there's sort of an unsatisfactory ending to the end because the lead character doesn't get his revenge. And that's sort of the pur- the purpose of this book is that like that sort of like um, dissatisfying ending where it's like, you want this guy to sort of get justice or something like that for the pain that's been caused to him, but he, he doesn't get that in the end. And that's sort of as like a narrative structure that maybe gets you keeps you reading the series obviously but like sort of looking at this story in a bubble that's an interesting uh choice to make and i wanted to know what your guys' opinion of that was well in, in most hundred bullet stories you actually you know when graves gives the character the briefcase there's a picture of the person that they can get the revenge on and this one you never see hmm. and i think that's important too you know okay. um because that's not important. That's the MacGuffin of the series. And this is really about this guy and, you know, the trauma of who he used to be and how he doesn't know who he used to be. And then when he's confronted with that too, you know, it gives his life meaning for a minute. Yeah. Now I think that's sort of, yeah, like that, the book definitely asks you to find satisfaction in that aspect. And he sort of has to find satisfaction in that. Which I thought was really cool. Um, but Matt, what did you think about that? Like sort of 
making the story, making you think that the story is going to be about one thing and then in the end sort of changing gears? Um, I, I, I enjoyed it because, um, you know, this is spread over like five issues and, uh, you, it, you know, it's the classic sort of swerve that, you know, you, you think it's all about this one thing and then it, 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 it's, it's about something else. So, um, uh, I did enjoy it. And I thought that like it, I think that it, uh, this is a question I guess maybe I have for Jonathan. I think that something like this reads really well in a trade. I don't know necessarily. I mean, it, it, there's a few issues that sort of do end on a cliffhanger where there's, you know, walking in, you find, you know, a key part of the investigation or somebody that you're looking for. And that's sort of where the issue uh, stops. But um, I feel like something like this reads really well in trade. I wonder how this would read um, month to month. And you have the experience of both. Yeah, well, I didn't read this one month to month. So I've only ever read it in that, you know, kind of almost one sitting way. That's an interesting way to think about it. I wonder how that would be. I mean, probably at this point, you're so deep in the series, if you're collecting monthly, that it just keeps, you're kind of embroiled in the mystery of who's this guy going to really turn out to be. Um, which probably adds another layer to it, which is interesting having you guys read it kind of cold from the series. Yeah, and... Uh... I think that there are like moments where I, I was reading it on comiXology to sort of switch gears towards like page turns and stuff like that. There's some great reveals in yeah. this book, like page turns, like each issue has like multiple, like really great, like, wow, you turn it and it's like, that's awesome. You know, you know, the, the annoying part about the trade is, is that it's off. Oh really? So it does. You don't get the same, you know, impact from the from the um, from the page turns as you should really. Oh, they wow. really should have just left some blank space in between. Yeah, but yeah you know, keep the like ads my, in there for. I almost now you just black, just a black page for <laughs> one, uh, you know, because my page one and my page two are right next to each other, and I know that's not the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I, I do feel the trade probably robs you of probably cooler page turns that you definitely got. I wonder if in the new collected, because I called into a local comic shop to try to see if I could get the trade you had, Jonathan. Okay. And um, they didn't have it. That That's like mm. the closest shop that would. And they, they're all now, I think they're trying to move away from those old trades and now just yeah, do like they're in big library collected ones. Yeah. Which I probably will eventually invest in. I got very lucky one time when I went to my comic shop and uh, I've always had trades one through six. And then my comic shop guy had a shelf of books that he was giving away for a dollar a piece because he was going to send them to the library the next day. And I found seven through 10, but I think I'm missing like nine or I'm missing seven, so, huh. I or actually there's more. I think it was like 13. So I have almost all of them except one. So very nice. I'll have to invest. Yeah. It's uh, so I'm wondering if they fixed that though. Cause like, I think they've been, I think more mindful of that when they're doing like their library. Editions. Probably. Yeah. Cause this is, you know, like I said, a 20 year old copy I have. Yeah. Um, but no, I loved, uh, I did like that first, the, the, the first chapter, the first issues sort of cliffhanger where like, you know, the the one guy that might sort of give us answers is dead. Yeah, the guy's the guy's uh, kind of working for is dead mm -hmm. with a bullet in his head. You yeah. know that's it's it's the perfect kind of crime book. Like I always thought this would make a great movie. 
Yeah. You know, you could just take this one book and it, it just sits so apart from everything else. I was thinking that too. Um, this, well, there's a lot of this that just works perfectly in comics, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it that, that you can just enjoy as a comic, you know, not having to worry about it being like, you know, thinking about it being like, oh, this could be done better in film or something like that. But there are parts that I could be like, wow, I'd love to see this in, in motion or like the motion is so clear on this page. It's like it's a movie right now. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I pulled and just, images of that, specifically the diner showdown, like, sh- sorry, yeah, yeah, showdown, where uh, that they had, um, where it's, it's between Milo and the, the hitman from across the, the diner and it's silent and it's just them gesturing to each other and like making expressions. Mm-hmm. That that whole sequence was I was like, yeah, this is why I read comics right here for these yeah. moments of just brilliance and storytelling. And it's it's funny because um, doing burn residue, you know, every page has narration on it, except for I think there, there's a two page silent sequence of part of the chase in that first issue. And I know for me sitting back, I was like, oh, I was like, not perfectly. 100% sure that that was the way to go because you just want to fill it with noise a lot of times. Yeah. And then, but but I, I read it more and more and I was like, no, this is the way to go. And then this book has a similar thing, you know? Yeah. It's, you're always in Milo's head. You're always right there inside thinking what he's thinking. And then there's this just quiet moment of possible violence. And one of the other great endings in the book, and I, and I was actually, I was hoping you would sort of get into that about, the importance of silence in yeah, comics it, where like, you know, um, and one of them is at the end of one of the issues, maybe it's either the third or the fourth in this, where he goes to visit um, Echo and uh, the shitman shows up there and it's them. It ends with them going out the window and that moment where it, the, the, the inner dialogue cuts out completely towards the yep. end of the book like there's no like i don't think there's any like i'm looking at the pages right now yeah, other no, than it's... the sound effect there's no dialogue at the end of yeah. the issue um and yeah that that was that was i was hoping we'd sort of get to that place of like why it's uh you like for you like what's your philosophy um with sort of like punctuating a moment with no inner like you know no narration no dialogue nothing like that I think it has so much to do with momentum and rhythm. Like we talk a lot about, you know, I think that um, you're, you're going so fast when you're reading inside a character's head. Mm -hmm. And then to have those moments where you're not in the head anymore and you're reacting to everything that's happening in the present moment sucks you in even deeper and kind of revs up the adrenaline too, because they don't happen in like quiet scenes of him just looking around. You know, if Milo is going to take a smoke and go for a walk in the rain puddles, you know, he's going to be telling you a lot about what he's thinking. But when it's a moment where he's seen Lono across from the diner and they're both, you know, threatening, threatening each other with their side pistols, it, you don't need to know what's going on because you see it all there. It also kind of foreshadows something big to come between those two characters. Yeah. And uh, that's really great. Once it gets to the end, that pays off amazingly well with uh, mm-hmm. those last couple of pages where, again, the dialogue cuts out, you know, 
no inner monologue. It's just Milo versus uh, Lono. And they are just like, you know, they're just like, yeah, like they're just like, it's just like, this is where it's going to end, you know? I mean, um, it's just... Yeah, it's like it's a cool pattern to sort of punctuate, not to sort of like differentiate a, a character from the other characters too. Yeah, there's there's a there's the other scene where Milo is looking through the the date planner right before Lono shows up at the end, and there's you know you're in his head for a moment, and then there's four panels of just watching him go through it throughout the night, and it's yeah. just perfect. You don't need to know. Oh, there's this person. There's this person. And I think a lot of times it's good to fill the page with a lot of words so that, you know, you really understand the nuance of a character, but then because you've done all that, it helps you even more when you see the silent scenes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and uh, there's also some great sort of rhythmic stuff at the beginning of the series and at the end of the series with the repeating of uh, a numb, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, that's another piece that always has like stuck with me since I first read it. And I definitely, um, reading it again, felt that rhythm in my first issue of Burn Residue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just like you kind of have a, you know, for lack of a better word, a mantra that the character believes. And to see that come in at the end, but in a different context is powerful too. Yeah, definitely. I was definitely reminded, I was like, I can see I could see it in a way where I was like, oh, I could see sort of what, what inspires you to write, like, you know, like, like, and it's good stuff that inspires you and your, and your creation. Yeah. Like, it, it's, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to talk about Milo as a character and like how he looks in comparison to like Willie, you know? Yeah. You have like a, it's interesting to me to go back and read this in the context of having done burn residue is that you know, they're both characters that stand out in the crowd. You know, mm-hmm. Milo is, he's got the bandaged face like the Invisible Man, which is always an awesome look. Mm-hmm. And then with Willie, you know, he has the facial scars everywhere. So that there's like a distinct look of the character that is in many ways iconic right off the bat. And then makes you sympathize with the character, but also makes you feel his rage. And, you know, it's very interesting just looking back at it in context of what I've done. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. And I'm sorry, Matt, you go ahead. I'll, I'll talk about it afterwards. I'm, I've been hogging the mic. Oh, yeah, no, no worries. It's just that, yeah, I think like that was one thing that struck me. I read this and I knew that we were going to get together and, and talk about it. And, you know, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I read Burn Residue. And in this book, there's a certain number of people who, um, know who Milo is, but he can go places and sort of like, you know, one example is he goes into the convenience store and he just starts a fight and nobody knows who he is. And um, Willie, when he's, uh, you know, there's, there's people who know who Willie is and why he looks that way. And then there's people in the story who don't know who Willie is and, and why he looks that way. So they're, they're able, they, they have people that they're able to, to use that to their advantage with and then yeah. there are other people that they don't so there was a similarity there but uh yeah no i think that's a a, a very apt um comparison you know i think um what's interesting when it comes to willie is that he knows certain characters that can't recognize him and they're the ones that made him look that way mm-hmm. and then with milo the the bandages become his own 
you know, safety mask, especially for someone who doesn't really know who he is because his memories have been, you know, suppressed and hidden from him. That's why it's always interesting in that last issue when he takes the bandages off and you see him and it's just a few facial scars that he has. But by the end of the issue, he's got himself wrapped back up again and like locked back in that, you know, unknown soldier way. Yeah, I was going to ask about like sort of the like the in noir, there's always sort of this theme of duality and masks and sort of like, again, deception is a big part of it. Sort of the person that you show people that you that, that you are and that's sort of the whole purpose of like an inner monologue right is that like i think if you didn't have that you would kind of really hate this person you know yeah um, and uh or you would just see the monster you know that kind of thing or, or like the masked killer or something like that but having of course like the inner monologue gives you sort of a an easy way to empathize with this character so that you understand their thought process and know where they're coming from but then on the other hand, you have this sort of like duality there where it's like, it's what you see versus what's happening on the inside, that kind of thing. And um, with Willie is like, is he as ugly on the inside as he is on the outside, that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying like there's like a beauty and the beast kind of thing going there because uh, not to spoil uh, burn residue, but it's a very dark <laughs> book, that kind of thing. And I don't, think you, I don't think that, I think if you look at the art for it, you kind of guess that. Yeah. But, it, but that, that's a, uh, it's interesting to see the comparison between the two of like sort of like for Milo, the mask, of course, are his bandages, but for Willie, the mask are like the burns, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And like the world is sort of given them their masks to wear um, that sort of fuels them. Well, first, let me just say that when you mentioned it was a dark book, I had the this question was posed to me for the first time and I can't believe I had to answer it. But someone asked if the book was um, like all ages or PG <laughs> or like, is this a mature, is Burn Residue Burn a mature Residue. book? Yeah. Go I was like, well, um, I thought that his look gave that away. Um, but yeah, it's a mature book. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys oh, uh... know. <laughs> um, I thought that was a very funny question. I was like, I guess that could be something that one person would ask. Um, and then they backed, so that was good. That was good to know. <laughs> okay, that was, good. That, oh, yes, is it? Um, oh, thank God but, it's not all ages. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought this was going to be light. Um, oh, but phew. <laughs> I think one of the... Um, i try to say it because I almost lost my train of thought there. With Willie, what I like about it is that it's kind of a trick. When in the first issue, when you first see him, you're like, what is with this guy? And then you learn about him and you see where he came from. And then you're like rooting him on as he chases this guy down. And then when he gets there and what he does, you should be like, why would I let someone sell me this book? (laughs) And I like, I, you're going to sit there at the end of the first issue and you're going to be like, Jesus, how do I refund my money? Cause that was, that was rough. Uh, and, no. But then, no, it's a joke. You won't get it back. <laughs> no, I, so there's there's been a couple of conversations Noah and I have had recently about how there are certain books that you read and you can be done with quickly. And then you just sort of move on to the next thing. And then there are the books that you read 
And for the next three to five days, you sort of walk around and you and you ponder that. And I think burn residue issue one, you know, with how sick and twisted it gets at the end and, and what happens, you sit you you sort of think about it for more for more yeah, time. And, and something like this with a hundred bullets, you sort of you you read it and then you sort of you think about it you're like oh yeah this is what was going on with milo and this is what you know and then you like you go hey that page was made really great and i know what they were doing there so it's like those are my favorite books is the ones that sort of stick with you and make you think yeah. about them you know and then even what you know you 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 might be going through your 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 box of books and go oh yeah i remember that book because it stuck with me it wasn't something yeah. i just read and it just was uh, you know like i love daredevil books but I can read a Daredevil book and then I'm just, I'm just on you to the next Daredevil the next book. Day, you know, yeah. it, it's not something I'm like contemplating for, you know, two or three days. Like, why did, why did Matt Murdock do that? He did that because he's Daredevil and he's Matt Murdock and this is what yeah. he's done for forever. And I, and I would say that that sort of applies to Willie too, but like you took, like, you know, you took a trope, like, and, and it's not, I'm not saying a trope in a, in a bad way. Cause of course we, I love formula and I love seeing what people do inside the realm of formula with those parameters and when they do something new like you've done with burn residue that's all the cooler but like you follow jonathan like a a a a formula of noir even how it ends like the first issue how it ends you can see like that there is a like both ways it could go at the end uh could fit within like the noir genre but how you do it is like authentically noir um and I hope if I'm if I'm drawing comparisons, it won't it won't spoil the ending. But like, like even classic '40s films have endings like yours, but you just go to like the next level, that kind of thing. Like yeah, you don't yeah. like you don't have the and haste I, imposing things. Uh, no, and I give and, it to you in issue one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, that's like, but like I get like it's sort of a when you get to the end of it, you're like, yeah, that is a conclusion that I should have reached while I was reading yeah. it. You know, like yeah. that's. It's not like where it's not a complete tonal shift. It's not a, it's not like, it's like I said at the beginning, it's not mean spirited because it's all fueled by the story you've been telling, you know, it's shocking, but it's effectively shocking. Like you're not just flipping the reader off, you know, like that's then that that's important. Yeah. I think that like, um, as I wrote it, issue one, it got to be the point where it could only end that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, I, I'd be interested to know how they did a hundred bullets because they always had that hundred issue plan. And I know for me that I, I knew where I was going with all three issues, but when issue one was done and I got to sit with it, it totally informed how issue two went. And like now as I'm like finishing getting the pages for issue two and I'm like uh, putting the words onto the page, you know, filling in the holes and seeing that, that definitely informs, you know, how I finish up with issue three. So I'm interested to see how that works out. I mean, with Burn Residue, we definitely take the revenge plot for the first issue, but then I feel like with each issue, I kind of flip it on its head a little bit. And that's what, uh, like that, that keeps it fresh, right? And that, got, that has to keep it yeah. fun to write too, for you to be like, I know, like you, like you sort of write within a, like a, a set of like, like, you know, a set of rules, you know, based on the story you're telling and sort of the, the programming we've had as storytellers where it's like, 
this is how you tell this sort of story, but it has to feel nice to be like, okay, I know what I'm putting down for the first two acts, but in the third act, I'm going to have a really fun time trying to figure out how to flip it on its head. Yeah. Um, at least that's how it comes off to me that you're having fun, like coming up yeah. with that last yeah. part. No, definitely. Uh, even earlier when you were talking about like the, the noir trope of the duality, um, I think that in issue one of Burn Residue, you see Willie from both sides. And then in issue two, you see, while you see Willie, you see two other characters and how they, how Willie perceives that they lived their life. And then you get a better understanding of them. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we, we've, we've talked a lot about the, the similarities in, in storytelling here and, you know, but uh, it, you brought up this when we had you on the first time that one of the reasons why you were drawn to, to the artist of Burn Residue was in something that Noah and I noticed right away that it was very much in this style. Was this, yeah. was, was this something that you, you talked through with the artist? Um, I, I know oh, that yeah. you had seen his style, but did, did you guys have a, did you guys like, I want to set the tone and I want to use a tone of a of hundred bullets and, and stuff like that. 100% that was like the first conversation I had with him when we started to dig into it. I, I asked him if he knew of 100 bullets. He said I 100% did. And I shared some panels with him that I like throughout the series that have really left an impression on me. And he definitely like, he gets there, you know, he, he gets what I'm going for. And he delivers me something that's it's a unique thing. And it's, you know, Rissell's art is absolutely beautiful. I think when I first saw it as a kid, I was thrown off by it. I thought it was a little ugly. Um, but then that ugliness of it becomes beautiful on its own. And especially the way he handles shadows. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's weird. A lot of people say that about about Kirby, too. Like the first time they see Kirby, they don't like it. And then after a while, they, they come to a, to appreciate it. So like it, it's, uh, I, I could see I could see that as well. It's, it's because everybody wants like the the classic 90s image comics pinups for everything. Mm -hmm. that, that's what they think. Like, I think initially you think comics are supposed to look like that. You know, they're supposed to be like loud and splashy, but then you realize what like a real artist is someone that does something that you're not expecting that's different and that really no other artist could do. Yeah, like one of my favorite stories is like, and I probably told this to everybody, but like Picasso was sitting at a table like one night and someone told him like, I could do what you do, you know? And uh, like he took out a pen and paper and drew out like a like photorealistic portrait, like right there mm -hmm. at the table of the guy across the table and threw it at him and was like, and he said, anyone can do that. Only I can do what I do. You know, yeah. that's, that's important. Like that's sort of, those are the artists that I am sort of drawn to, but every artist is like that in their own way. You know, yeah. only Jim Lee can draw like Jim Lee, you know, and uh, only like, you know, uh, only Risto can draw like Risto, like and Frank Miller and all those guys can only do them. And when you see the people who are sort of trying to be them, that authenticity sort of like they're, they're, they're sort of doing themselves, uh, uh, they're not doing themselves any favors by trying to imitate exactly someone else's yeah. style. Yeah. No, so. I think um, art, uh, I'm very much a person that follows writers being a writer. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to art, 
the art needs to be special to me to really mm -hmm. attach to a book. And, you know, when I, when I see Rissell's work, I, I will follow that guy anywhere with the, you know, I told you they, they do moonshine together now and it's not always great, but I will always be there every week it comes out to take it and read it first. Yeah. Like I would, I, this book reads so well, even without the dialogue just in the storytelling and things like yeah. that it's it's such a rich it's like it's like a, again to use the word tone it's the art is dripping with tone you know yeah and um like there's that one scene in the diner where i think he's talking with megan and there's a whole other scene going on in the background oh, yeah. with, with the janitor lady and the guy in the kitchen mm-hmm and it fills out the world, but it also sort of fits within sort of like the grossness that they're talking about yeah. too. Um, and it's like, like that's that choice right there. And I, and I would love to read the script if that was written in there, or if that was like Risso being like, I kind of am bored of drawing talking. Like playful, things. yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. could I do something else to to sit, tell the story and, you know, so it's not just talking heads. I I saw you know in the in the the more modern collections of the books they have script pages printed at the back. Okay. And I did see script pages and I remember them being very light. Very light on description and I mean probably at that point they trust each other so much that it's just natural. But I wonder how much is added in by Risso to kind of like feel the texture of the world a little yeah. dirtier. Yeah, I love that about this book is that this um this is in Los Angeles, right? I think this, this yeah. book takes place in. So it's like, uh, I mean, it feels like Los Angeles too. And that was one of the things I loved is that how it opened up with how he drew the haziness of the buildings mm -hmm. and things like that with like the stipling and things. So there's that of filling in the world where it's like, you know, he draws the streets in this very hazy uh like you know unclear very suggested forms and shapes of the city um which comes across as very la uh but then at the same time like he has these character vignettes that fill in the sort of grossness of everyone involved in this story as well um it's it's brilliant it's like it's very vertigo too at the same time like uh yeah risso um guerra uh Oh, what's his name who drew preacher um i can't remember his name steve dylan uh, steve dylan oh, yeah all those guys had this like uh like all those guys coming into vertigo had this like cool way of of like giving character to their to like to the worlds that they lived in and i kind of see that in burn residue as well like that's uh like, uh, and I think that that comes out of like, you know, your artist also being the colorist too, yeah. you know, like where he can really, you know, he has a, like, you know, he does a good job of, uh, you know, filling the world in with his artwork. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, you know, there are certain artists that just fit this genre. Mm -hmm. and they know it you know these guys know it like when you know sean phillips you're not really going to see him do a superman book you know yeah. he's going to stick in those gutters you know same thing with you know risso he's going to do batman and when you see batman it's like the the perfect dirtiest kind of 
crime alley superhero you can see. You know, I think the the noir genre has a very special place for some of these artists. Definitely. And they just shine, you know. Uh, like I say, when I get pages back from, from Rosano, I'm just like, this is better than what I imagined. And Burn Residue definitely feels like that golden age of Vertigo. Like, it feels like it came out It feels out like around. a Vertigo book, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's that good Vertigo book. It's... Uh, yeah, like I, I could see this it being on the shelf next to like scalped or something like that. You know, yeah. like it's it's definitely it's and I and I love Vertigo books, like especially these classic ones. They were just, just the awesome. best. Yeah, they were. They were yeah. the best. And yeah, I, you know, thankfully, Image does stuff now, but you see yeah. stuff and you're just like, you know, there are a few books that are on the same level as those ones were. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I just. And it kind of like, and again, it feels like good cinema, you know, when you're, when you're reading it, like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of preacher, but when I was reading it, I was like, man, this is compelling. You know, like this is yeah, like, this is a, this is such a novel idea. And same with scalped. Like I, I love scalped to death. Like that book that like, then, and this book makes me like feel that too. It's that, that just like golden, like that vertigo touch where it's like, wow, like only, only vertigo. Yeah. Um, now you guys both have to go back and read the whole series. I have now to. Because yeah. They they did a um, before a hundred bullets. They did a, a I think it was a four issue story called Johnny Double, and that one is great too. That one has a, that final page of Johnny Double is burned into my mind because it's just okay. so poetically perfect. That's awesome. I'm definitely gonna check that out. Nice. So. Um... I think we did a pretty decent job of, of covering the story and the art here um, and, and the comparisons. But since we talked to you last, um, you know, Burn Residue was started, uh, you know, going, getting ready to go to Kickstarter. But you've had a couple of interesting uh, developments uh, since then. You know, you, you, you released some, some new art recently. So um, and you're also you're moving into to issue two. So do you want to talk a little bit about the, the new art that, that, that you have and, and, and how things are going on issue two? Yeah, uh, things are going great. You know, as this comes out, we'll only have a couple more days left. We have, a, you know, a little bit to go to hit our funding goal, um, which is cool. It's awesome. It's awesome to see just how people have responded to the book. You know, it's the first time I've ever done something like this. So that nerve wracking and exciting at the same time, as I'm sure you guys know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it. Uh, well, we had Jacob Phillips do the cover for the graphic novel, which I think I talked about when I was on with you guys, or maybe I didn't have it fully set. You know, uh, that kind of came together right as the campaign was about to launch. So he got that back to us last week. And that is just a super cool cover that says everything, you know, you see, it's kind of like the, the header image now of the campaign. Uh, he killed it. I can't wait for the graphic novel to be sitting on my shelf. I just see it. And I'm just like, Oh, can I go to print now? Um, and then we had uh, David Lapham of straight bullets did this, did the um, original art piece of Willie, which just looks super cool too. You know, it's, it's awesome seeing, these different artists that I really respect their work respond to what we've done and then, you know, add another layer to it, which is really cool. You know, David's drawing completely embodies the entire first issue in one image. Mm -hmm. You and know, he, it's, it's super cool. 
and if I remember correctly, he he read a preview copy and told you that it was yeah. was dark, which is yeah. He, is he like referred having, to it as twisted, yeah. Which nice. is like having like uh, you know, uh, I'm just trying to like having somebody like uh, you know, like Megadeth say your your music is heavy or something like that. Yeah, so exactly. To get that sort of like <laughs> that that's good uh, praise. It was funny because every time you know, both with David and with Jacob they kind of said yes before they read the issue. And I was like, don't say yes until you read the issue. So read it and then get back to me. And then they did and they did awesome stuff. You know, that's super fun. Yeah, and those are, you know, you would think of like, I feel like those guys, well, maybe uh, Latham is, is more in league with this, but it's sort of, uh if you think it's it's not necessarily a changing of the guard but it's like you know you had your vertigo time with with crime stories and now you know there was the team of uh rizzo and um uh azarello but now you would think that it's probably been handed over to brubaker and phillips so to, so to have somebody yeah. that's that's in that is, is is pretty amazing yeah it's it's pretty cool and especially with like with Jacob coming up on his own with, with that Texas blood, it feels like we got like the, the taste of the, the old crime that was really just like the core of, you know, kind of independent hard, you know, hardcore, but like dark storytelling and then combined with, you know, the new age of everything. And, you know, it's cool. It's very cool. It definitely is. I'm so excited to get it. I really am. Like, yeah. I love, I, like, I'm just excited to read it in print. It's yeah, gotta be awesome. Me too. You know, when I did Tales from the Dead Astronaut, one of the most rewarding things was getting those copies in my hand and being mm-hmm. like, oh, this is so much different than reading it on my computer. And then, you know, I'm excited, you know, like I said, once Monday hits, you know, we'll have the campaign will be done and I will be sending out that you know, I'll be sending out the PDF for issue one to go to print and I'm excited to get it. You know, I'm excited to hold it in my hands. And I'm going to tell you for everybody that backs the physical version, there is a double page spread in issue two that you are going to want to hold in your hands and you'll be disappointed if you read it on the computer. Okay. That's that. Yeah. The, that there's, I, I, I love, holding a print book in my hand and like for this i i read this digitally one i needed to get it in my hands quickly and two just the state of the world i didn't feel like going out just you know yeah, i couldn't justify yeah. going out and getting a book but that is the one thing that does not work i mean i have an ipad pro which is is the is the big one but the double page spreads they don't work on, on yeah on they tablets that they they flip they get smaller and that it defeats yeah. the purpose I, when I say you literally needed to hold it in your hands, you'll know why when you turn that page and see it. <laughs> Man, so, <we> it. <laughs> a nice tease. So that if you happen to back this already and you went um, for the digital version, you're going to want to upgrade. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Uh, um, so we were talking to, to somebody uh, recently and we were talking about like wearing two hats and it seems like that's something that you're doing. You know, you're obviously wearing the, the promotions hat um, where you're, you know, letting people know that there's a Kickstarter out there. You're, you're doing podcast, you're, you're, you're connecting, you're, you're getting people to share, but you're also working on issue two. So do you find 
uh, that that's able. And believe me, I, I, I know that that running a Kickstarter is, is nerve wracking, but is, is it nice to just sort of have that sort of break to step away and get those pages for for two and, and sort of think about that for a little bit? Um, I know you warned me about this last time we talked because it was at the beginning, but it is a little it's hard to turn it off because you know, especially throughout the entire campaign, you you want to be one of those people that like hit your funding goal and you could start talking about stretch goals. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that intoxication right off the bat that you have to like get rid of. Um, it's tough because it's just me. You know, like I said, Rosano, he doesn't really, he's in Italy. Kickstarter is not really a thing there. So he doesn't know how to even help mm-hmm. in that sense. You know, he runs a, a publishing company in Italy, which will come out there too. So he kind of is doing it on his end. I'm doing it over here. And then, you know, it's kind of like starting up from scratch. I say I had like 50 Twitter followers when this started. So, you know, you can only, who knows where those 50 even came from to begin with. But, you know, it's been fun, you know, interacting with people, trying to find something new to show people has been tough, but you get there. You know, you can tease an extra page here, an extra image there. It's been good to have the stuff like Jacob's cover or David's sketch. Um, But yeah, it's also, you know, I, you know, I have the house with my wife and three dogs. So they take up a lot of time plus my day job. And then, you know, to say I have two hats is an understatement. But, you know, there's always something to do to distract yourself from what's going on. Nice. Um, So I think... When I had you on, or Noah and I had you on, and we talked about uh, Tales from the Dead Astronaut, I had asked you if you were going to, if you could have somebody direct that as one of the movies, um, and you said that you wanted to do that yourself. Uh, I did, you gave that answer last time, didn't I? Yeah. You you know I'm going to give the same answer for Burn Residue. So so (laughs) you're directing that? Do you have have an understudy of somebody who uh, would Uh, be able to to fill in as uh, as your number two? You know, it would would take too long, but I would say David Fincher. Mm. (laughs) Because I know he would direct in that cold hand. I plan on sending a copy to Blumhouse right as we get come off the fresh off the presses. This this seems like it would fit their uh, their their way of doing business. Do you yeah. have a makeup artist picked out? Like, who would you want? Like, That's what, the what, real what, question. What company? That's the what real company question. Would you uh, like to design Willie's face? Like, like uh, uh, I would I would ease Rick Baker out of retirement with yeah. many gifts. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a very good answer. Uh, you know who's cool is um the guy who did uh I guess he's more of a puppet builder, but he also I think he does prosthetics too. Um uh, I think it's is it Kevin Yeager. I think he designed Chucky. I think um, okay. he's he does he does prosthetics too. He's really yeah. cool. Like he's like yeah. I, I listened to an interview with him recently and I was like, yeah, he'd be a cool guy to to work yeah, with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a big storyteller on top of that too. So that's, yeah. He, cause he also invented the uh, Crypt Keeper. That was his oh, thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think he could yeah. handle Willie then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he <laughs> if definitely. We, if we can't, if we can't convince Rick Baker out. You can't convince Rick Baker. I, I'm telling you, he's good. He, he, he can do a good job. I, I, I promise. Okay. I'm glad you're yeah. vouching for him. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, you know, this was a lot of fun. This was something that we talked about, and uh, this was a first for us to have somebody 
pick a book for for Noah and I uh, to read. Um, so it was a lot of fun, um, and and I enjoyed it. So you know, if 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 there's a when when issue two comes out, if there's something that you feel is in a similar vein, if we we can do that again, but we, we we certainly would yeah, like to do that. Maybe, maybe we do that when um when kind of the issues are out and before we send out the graphic novel version, maybe we'll do something, you know, to give people that last chance to get in on the bandwagon. Nice. Totally. So um, as we close up, I want to give you an opportunity to, um, to just talk up uh, burn residue. Um, you know, a lot of times we ask people for, for elevator pitches, but if you want to go beyond the elevator pitch and, you know, tell us a little bit about Willie, um, tell us a little bit about the world. Uh, we would love to hear about that. Um, so Burn Residue, as I say, is a crime comic. It is about Willie Boyd. He is covered head to toe in third degree burns. He works as a very to himself gas station attendant. And then one night a car rolls in driven by one of the men who lit him on fire. And he needs to make the decision about whether or not it's time to get some revenge. Nice. You know, uh, like, I, like I say, each issue is 32 pages. So you're not going to be able to just sit down in the time it takes you to use the bathroom to read this one. You're really going to get to sink your teeth into each issue. Yeah. And, you know, we, we get, we, we get introduced to a lot of stuff in one, but, you know, even after one, we, we get to come back and, 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 and dive back into, to, to the world in, yeah. in two and three, which, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, no, but uh, you know, we certainly want to encourage people, you know, at the time of, of, of recording this and when we post this, we're gonna be at the, like the probably about the 48 hour mark. So um, to, yeah. to fund the Kickstarter. So, you know, time is of the essence uh, and you, you gotta get in on this. You know, you, you've heard all of this stuff. No one I can both vouch for it as, as people who've read the preview copies that, that we really love it. So um, we yeah. just wanna let people let people know um, to, to, to check it out. Um, do you want to give um, out social media handles? Because certainly we yeah. want we, we want to be able to to get eyes on this. But going forward, we need people to to be on board as we go. You know, go back for two and three and, and the trade, right? Exactly. And what comes next? Definitely. You know, uh, on Twitter, I'm Commander of Zed, C M D R of Zed. Then on Instagram, Space Station Zed. Uh, you can go to my website, spacestationz.com. There's always some fun content on there. I have a five-part sci-fi horror short story up there that's fun to read, a couple comics. Uh, but yeah, you know, we, we look I look forward to continuing to fulfill this addiction of making comics. Nice. Um, if, if you're not able to cover this, this is fine. But um, are you able, is there, I think there's some development with... Uh, Tales of the Dead Astronaut. Is that is there anything you can say, or is that still? I can't sort of... say. I can't say anything yet. I'm hoping January we can say something, but George is hard at work on some pages, so I'll just leave it at that. Nice. It'll be that'll be great, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think I think uh, folks will will enjoy that. That was my first uh, introduction to your work, and it was it was mind blowing, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So awesome. <laughs> it's fun continuing on on that one, and. Uh, one of the Kickstarter tiers, you can get a copy of Tales from the Dead Astronaut. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 going to be one of the ways to go. And uh, you you also have the tiers where you can you can um, sort of pre-order uh, to to be on on two and three as well, right? 
Well, yeah. Well, the Kickstarter is for all three issues. Oh, correct. So yeah. tier one is a digital tier. I will look down upon you for going that way, but I will thank <laughs> you very much. You, at least you'll get to enjoy the journey. Um, uh, there's the physical tier, uh, which you'll get each issue monthly starting in January. I'll uh, Once we get close to January, I'll kind of update everybody on what the general release date will be. You know, based on the mail, you'll get it kind of close to the Wednesday that we plan. Kind of want you to have it in your hands on a Wednesday for New Comic Book Day That's and nice. have it at the top of your stack. And then um, by the time issue three is released, the, the other tier is the graphic novel version. So I'll have that out the same time as issue three. And then you could also back to get both or one or the other. Okay. And our... Are the are they the the raffle tickets still a thing uh, to, yeah. to back at this point? So do you want to talk a little Thanks bit about the ability that. to, yeah, to so, get it on the raffle? So the the original art piece that David Lapham did, I didn't want to just give it away as like a high price tier. I wanted everybody to have a chance to you know get it. So with each tier, there's a select number of raffle tickets, basically based on the you know basically based on the reward and how much you've pledged. So by the end of everything, by the end of the campaign, where you know I'm gonna collect and see how many how many pieces everybody has, throw it in the pot and see who gets to walk away with that ugly piece of beauty. No, yeah. that's 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 really nice. Like uh, uh, I think that that it, it adds an element of fun to it. You know, we we yeah. we, we did uh, we did original art tiers on on Dino Thrashers, but this is sort of like. Uh, uh, it's a one of a kind item, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and there's just, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of fun. It's a little bit of mystery um, yeah. To, yeah. To, to add to it. So that, that's a really cool aspect of that. And I, I haven't gotten it yet, so I can't wait to see it for a minute and then raffle it off. You get to hold it, you get to hold it <laughs> yeah. in your hand for, for a, a second. And then a tear goes down as you <laughs> yeah, put it exactly. in the envelope and, and send it away. So uh, I might have to have him make a second one, a different one for me. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, well, Jonathan, it was great catching up with you again. Um, yeah. Best of luck here in these, in these, in these days coming, coming forward. And uh, we're really excited for this book. Um, and uh, you know, you're up there in rare, rare, uh, categories you're you're a three-time guest you're uh i know you're tied not uh, stopping for, here you're tied for you're tied yeah yeah awesome. <laughs> well about to crush that one in, <laughs> in two months when we come back yeah no, no worries man um so for everybody listening uh, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use we really appreciate it if you want to follow the the podcast uh, we're on uh twitter at construct Compod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod. Facebook and YouTube is Constructing Comics. Um, but if, you know, check our outer show notes because we're going to have links to Jonathan's social media and a link to that uh, Kickstarter to make it as easy as possible for you to get to that page. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, please be nice, be safe, and go out there and make some dark and twisted comic books. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs>